I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. Today, I have one of my favorite guests on, good friend of mine, Scott Horton. I asked Scott to come on to talk about the Trump administration's foreign policy, what the shakeups in the Pentagon mean here at, here towards the end of his administration. So I hope you enjoy. All right, Scott, what's going on, man? How you doing, Tommy? I'm good. I'm good. How's everything on your end? Hanging in there, buddy. Hey, I wanted to let you know, like, uh, before we get rolling, that Matt Taibbi show that you did, I loved that interview. That was that was such a great interview with Matt Taibbi. You know, he's one of the greatest American journalists, for sure. In fact, oh. even after he's dead and it's long in the future, he will be one of the all-time great American journalists. No question about it. Absolutely. And he's, and he, you know, he always comes off as such a nice guy. And uh, hearing him talk, talk with you that way and knowing you and like the kind of the way y'all's back and forth, I, I could really tell he's just a really genuine guy. And that, that was uh, really interesting to actually kind of see that, that personable side of him. Yeah. And of course, he's such a talented writer, too, that he can make, you know, the evils of Goldman Sachs a compelling read for people who otherwise could never read something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I did want to compliment you on that because I thought that was a really good interview. Uh, no, I thanks. Really I mean, mostly I just showed up and let him talk about stuff. But um, yeah, no, he's definitely great. Well, that's kind of what I plan on doing today. I'm just going to show up. But well, I do have things to say, you know. I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. We're, we're, looks like we're winding down. Don't you know I'm local? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like we're winding down this this crazy four years of winning. We, we won so much. We got tired of it eventually. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, that must we, be it. <laughs> we're, we're begging. We, we can't stand any more winning. And it looks like we might've got what the- he should say in his concession speech. Right. It's like, look, I won so much. You got tired of it. I told you you would <laughs> <laughs> call it a victory. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Go go out like Trump, you know. That's right. Just like a withdrawal from Afghanistan. We're gonna call it a victory. Doesn't really matter if it actually is one or not. We're just leaving and we want to call it that, okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm Trump and I say it, so it is. It is so. It is a victory. It is framed in gold. I'm going to hang it up on the on the White House, uh, in the Oval Office, and everybody's gonna know. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be right next to the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. So, but yeah, so we're winding it down and it looks like we're actually getting some decent news um, when it comes to the potentiality of foreign policy with all the shakeups going on. And uh, when I first heard about the Esper uh, firing, I had texted you, you were, you were the first person I texted. I was like, does this mean anything? And you're like, I don't know. I don't think so because him and Trump had had odds with the insurrection act. And I had, I had forgotten about Trump wanting to use the insurrection act. I'd gotten so caught up in watching him, um, you know, uh, deputize the, uh, the Portland police into the federal marshals. I had forgotten about his, his wanting to use the insurrection act. So I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that figures. But then we see, all the rest of these people starting to leave. And we see people like, um, 
um, Cash Patel and uh, Tata, who called Obama a terrorist leader, which is about amazing um, for a for a general to be saying that about a president. And uh, Christopher Miller actually hired Douglas McGregor as his advisor. So it looks like we might be moving into a situation where they're going to at least attempt to rush the uh, the end of the Afghan war and get all of the soldiers out of Afghanistan. How, how possible do you think that is? I, I really have no idea, man. I, I give it 10% or something just because I don't ever want to be optimistic. But the key word that you said there is Douglas McGregor. I don't know enough about these other guys um, to really have a judgment there. I mean, they might say very hawkish things, um, you know, that can be quoted, things that they said in the past. But that may not count if they're just loyalists to Trump and he's assigned them to get the job done of winding down, you know, one or two of these things on the way out the door here. On the other hand, I mean, it could be worst case scenario that he wants to bomb Tehran and he wanted to get a couple of real kooks in there. But I, I just really don't know enough about them. But I do know about Douglas McGregor that he is a sincere anti-war guy and he's also extremely brilliant and I'm sure is essentially the leader in any room that he's in. I mean, he must call the secretary of defense, sir, and everything, but like, who are we kidding here, dude? He's a giant. He's a serious ass. He's a guy, if we ever fight Russia in a giant tank battle in Eastern Europe, it'll be on the McGregor plan that this is how we fight the Russians. He's the guy that they turn to for what do we do now, Doug, when the shit really goes down, you know? So, um, the fact that he is in there, to me, I have to assume only means that he has the job of overseeing the winding down of at least one or two of these things right now. We got two months on the clock, and so what can we do? And you notice there's this whole completely stupid liberal narrative going on that Trump is trying to do a coup d'etat by refusing to concede the election. Well, let me go ahead and nip that in the bud for you. Once he's done losing in court, it's over, okay? There's one armed force in the federal government that really counts. I mean, the military is not in play here, nor will they be. Um, and that armed force is the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice is not going to side with Donald Trump over the Electoral College <laughs> and, and the law. Uh, so they're going to have their lawsuits. They're going to lose them. And there's no coup. But you notice that they must know that because Donald Trump purges the entire top civilian leadership of the Pentagon. And do they say, oh, no, that's part of the coup. He's seizing control over the army so he can declare martial law and stay in office. They're not saying that. They're trying to call lawsuits and a refusal to give a concession speech and phone call a coup. But when he purges the leadership of the Pentagon, they don't say that because they know that's BS. That's not what's going on. Instead, they accuse him of wanting to end one or two of the wars. The Washington Post, CNN, and the others go, yeah, the word is he wants to get out of Afghanistan and Somalia. The most horrible and irresponsible and premature thing to do. Can you imagine leaving Afghanistan after only 19 years? Why, that's a premature evacuation. You can't do that. 
Man, what kind of man are you? Um, and in fact, I swear to God, this is true, dude. You might not believe me because you think, well, you probably will believe me. But it said they quoted one of these officials, a currently serving Defense Department official in CNN, saying he wants to get out of Somalia, out of Afghanistan. These are dictator moves. <laughs> like, what is even the connection there? Yeah, you know how those dictators always do, you know, ending wars in their last two months in power after they step down on the orders of a black robe judge under the rule of law. Those damn dictators. Yeah, dictators. Those war enders. That's the worst thing about dictatorship, you know, is that the autocrats and always seeking peace when good liberal Democrats know we must stay at war forever always. You know, um, and I saw, you know, there's a guy, um, Representative Clyburn was saying that Trump's this is a side issue, I guess, but Trump's refusal to concede the election that that reminds me of Hitler. That's just like what Hitler did, except that Hitler never won an election. Right. He got, I think, even less than a plurality. Maybe he had a plurality in the parliament and then formed a coalition government and then just seized the chancellery in total power and then he didn't stand for election and then lose and yeah then i think i heard one time he down i think i think one time i heard that after he invaded poland they elected him but i mean it's not like they had much choice at that point right yeah and it's not that like he was defeated by some guy named biden and then refused to step down that's just not part of the story of the rise of the nazi party it's not how it happened at all <laughs> this sure? guy just you sure? You know, I, sounds I, I, like swore, I, I swore that was how it went. I swore it was Joe Biden's uh, step uncle had <laughs> beat Hitler in an election in Belgium, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I mean, the thing of it is, and I'm not a Trump supporter. I never have liked the guy, you know, before or after his presidency or any of these things. But it's just astonishing to see them give him essentially the Saddam Hussein treatment. Yeah. Right? Where just like with David Koresh or with, um, I mean, they barely even bothered demonizing Noriega. They can do whatever they want with Panama. They mm. invented it, didn't they? Mm. But, you know, with David Koresh or with Saddam Hussein or the Ayatollah or, you know, Gaddafi or any of these guys, they just, as Bashar al-Assad in Syria, they just demonize them and demonize them and demonize them and just leak supposed secrets against them. Yeah, anyway, I mean, it's, even 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 in, in more modern uh, terms, not to say that you know Saddam is modern, but I mean, you look at what they do to American whistleblowers. You know, you look at what they right? did to John Kiriakou or, or Bill Benny or S Edward Snowden or you know even Julian Assange, right. Chelsea Manning. It's yeah, the same type Assange of Assange and Manning. Yeah, right. I mean, they right, got right. accused. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and. And the thing of it is, is this is the president. Like, this is what George W. Bush did to Saddam Hussein. Right. And then the same apparatus that he used to do it turns right around and does it to the president after next. Mm -hmm. And it's really amazing. I mean, it's like a COINTELPRO operation against the Black Panthers, only it's against the sitting president of the United States. Uh, and the FBI and the DOJ, they can do whatever they want. The CIA, they can do this if they want to. Take on the president. Who's going to stop them? Not him. Yeah. Oh, and I heard somebody say the other day they they had called Biden Juan Guaido Biden, and I was like, That's you know, funny. 
It is funny because it does, I mean, like the way things have been going and the way the media has been acting, it does kind of look like a South American election at this point in time. It's like, y'all, everybody needs to calm down. Y'all are all crazy at this point. Y'all have lost your minds. Trump broke you years ago, and you have just been in a downward spiral, spiral ever since. And, and the thing that's going to like, I, I can't wait till they realize that they're all working themselves out of a job. That's what I can't wait for, is that moment when it clicks, like, oh, shit, he's gone. Now what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and wouldn't that really be a shame, too, if the American people just thought that everything was fine now, that Biden is in there, for God's sake, and I'm afraid that you're right. Right. Well, and you're looking at, like, you're looking at what uh, Obama's, you know, State Department, you know, I mean, he's already got Susan Rice's at the top of his list. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, the real thing about it, man, I mean, again, I'm not a Trump supporter and I don't really think that they stole it from him either. I mean, unless you say all the push polls saying he was destined to lose and all for all that time is like kind of rigging it. But that's all all fair and love and war and politics as far as that goes. Yeah. But I don't think they're just stuffing ballot boxes for him and and rigging the election. If anything, I think Trump rigged the election against himself. And he did it because he's stupid. And, and he is stupid. Yes, I mean, the is. guy, he has some good instincts, but essentially he's an inch deep. And so he thought somehow, and I don't know if maybe he came up with a plan with Jared Kushner to do this or whose bright idea it was. I think it must have been his bright idea. Now, what we're going to do is we're just going to demonize mail-in voting. And we're just going to say it's all really bad and fraudulent and it's all a scam and they're trying to scam me. But they had no real plan. Like, right. how is this supposed to work? You're going to, you're essentially calling mail-in, bouting, mail-in voting gay, or you're calling it, you know, a, a bad name or something. But how does it actually work that you delegitimize those votes? You don't. You don't, no judge, no state secretary of state, no governor is going to go along with just well, Donald Trump doesn't like mail-in ballots, so we're just going to all pretend that they're fake and fraudulent when they're just not. And somehow he got it in his head that he could just, by demonizing mail-in voting, that then if he lost, he would be able to blame it on mail-in voting in such a convincing way that he could stay in power? Come on. Yeah. When the obvious thing to do would have been to say, because look, man, Old people skew right, and old people skew afraid of the germ. So mm-hmm. there's automatically, there's some percent, call it 1% or 5 or I don't know what it is. There's some percent of Trump voters who would like to vote for Trump but are a little bit scared about going out there and touching the same computer a bunch of other people touched and breathing the same air as a bunch of strangers at a voting thingy. And so that margin right there what do you do with them right what he should have done was he should have said look everybody we know we're gonna kill it on election day but let's do the very best we can in mail-in voting too and let's get ahead as best we can and whatever and instead essentially he just suppressed his own vote he might as well have said if you want to vote for me but not in person forget it just don't yeah. And that was essentially what he said. That's for basically two- what he said on the, on the debate for- stage. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
That's it. And so he suppressed his own vote by, I mean, at least, what, two or three percent in all 50 states in the union. I don't even think so, man. I don't, I don't think anything that, that he was saying made a difference. I mean, you look at them. Oh, I do. Well, look, uh, what if he said the opposite? What if he'd been telling his people, for God's sake, vote by mail if you want to? Please do. Maybe. You don't think I, that would have been? I think it would have been. Votes in 50 states? Yeah, maybe. I mean, but he's, I mean, he's still got 72 million votes, you know? I mean, Biden got yeah, 77 compared to what? million. I mean, he got fewer than the other guy. Yeah, I still don't know, you know how many. I don't know how many more Americans you're going to get out to vote other than 145 million, but or 100 almost 150. How many mail-in ballots did he get compared to Biden? Oh yeah, he got destroyed in, yeah. in Pennsylvania and in Arizona and in Nevada and in Wisconsin. You're right. right? You're right there. Yeah, absolutely. He suppressed his own vote. Well, he suppressed it, his own vote. Well, and he but he went full. He went full uh neocon reactionary that's what he did i mean like well, that too ultimately that too and in but, fact so back to the subject here he could have ended wars he could have spent all summer ending wars and not only that screwing the democrats by ending wars right and forcing biden to attack him from the right forcing biden to tell his base to stay home because mm. he'd have been making He'd have been making them hate him yeah. by attacking Trump for the, from the right for being irresponsible by pulling us out of Afghanistan, Somalia, and Iraq and Syria. And so now, and he would have won. Boy, you talk about suppressing your own vote. How about staying in a bunch of wars you promised to end? Right. <laughs> if he'd ended the wars, he'd have won by 10 points. Absolutely. And he waited. Now that it's too little, too late, and he's only got two months left on the clock and a largely insubordinate national security state that's not afraid of him. Now he's going to try to see if he can get McGregor to ram a couple through, I guess. Yeah, if he can slide it in at the end, which I think is, is insanely stupid because if he, doesn't, if he doesn't get it done before the beginning of January, any, any move – that he makes is going to look so illegitimate when Biden gets in there, he can just, he can just slam, slam on the gas and do whatever he wants. He can accelerate to, to whatever speed he wants, wherever right. he wants. It may already be too late, Tommy. I mean, seriously, if Donald Trump says to Christopher Miller to tell the generals tomorrow, I want everything at Bagram air base packed up. And I want all of you guys out of there by December the 7th. What do you think they're going to say? I think they'll tell him no. Dude. I think they'll tell him, you know what, Mr. President? We like the Bagram Air Base, and we think that we can bluff until January, and Biden's going to let us stay. And so screw you. Yeah, it's possible. I, you know, I, wouldn't, I would not be surprised. I mean, that sounds crazy, and he, you know, after all, he did just fire the Secretary of Defense, and the Secretary of Defense didn't try to fight it. He mm -hmm. knew he was fired. He has no authority to fight it. The president is the president. Right. But well, I, I was reading that a lot of these guys knew that it was up, like the gig was up as soon as the election was over. No matter the results, they knew they were getting fired. They, it, was, it, was just, it, was, it was just laid out in the cut in the wool. I mean, you know? what a great bunch of politics this would have been if he'd done it over the summer. He's well, such a fool. Well, and that's I mean, what I—that's so what I controversial. That's it what would I have been huge. You I, know, 
Yeah, well, I kept hearing people say this, like running up to the election, that, oh, he wants to fire Gina Haspel, and he wants to fire um, Esper, and he wants to fire this person. He wants to and he wants out of Somalia. But, yeah, yep. but but he's not going to do it. He won't do He doesn't want to do it before the election because of the political consequences. And yep. I'm like, if you frame it right, if you come out and say, look, I've been promising the American people for years that I'm going to get them out of these wars and these people will not execute my, my commands. So I'm finding people that will like, you have to frame it properly. And that's one right. of his problems. He couldn't frame anything. And that is yeah, the art of the deal. He never closes a damn deal at all. Right. Now, take me for example. You know, I would like to see the Democratic Party outlawed after the Russiagate hoax. Oh, my God. Traitor. No They're doubt. absolutely dead to me. Like each and every one of them burnt Waco. I just hate them so much I could explode. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, boy, see, I got distracted just talking about how much I hate Democrats. I forgot my train of thought there. Um, oh, um, shit. I'm so sorry, Tommy. No, I, that's uh, all right. I was just thinking about Democrats burning and I got all excited and I couldn't get back to my thing. You had mentioned the art of the deal and then you said, take me for an example. And then you're oh, like, yeah, I want to murder me for Democrats. I, as much, see, I'm sorry, I got, I got what Biden's got. Forgive me. <laughs> as, as much as I hate the Democrats, I did not vote for Donald Trump. Right. I mean, I really hate them so much. Oh, yeah, much. I really absolutely. Think the Democratic Party should be outlawed like the Golden Dawn. How dare they go along with the FBI, CIA, uh, you know, plot to frame Trump for treason. Talk about meddling in our democracy and all of this shit. But I still didn't vote for the guy. And, right. and I did say to people before the election that, look, if there is a reason to vote for the guy, it's that he has finally hired McGregor for something. He made a, he tried to make McGregor ambassador to Germany. And that means he's in there somewhere. And that means that yes, Pompeo is in there too, but still there's a potential for some real movement in the second term here. I really do think not to be all hope and change and full of faith or anything like that, but you got to admit there's a real chance that in the second term that he could really end some of these wars that we know he really does not believe in. And Yet that wasn't enough to get me to vote for the guy on the chance that maybe he'd promote McGregor to something. Right. But man, I'll tell you what, if he had done this purge in June and made McGregor special advisor, senior advisor to the secretary of defense then and announced that I'm not playing, we're getting out of Afghanistan by Christmas. I swear to God, hell or high water, whether I win this election or lose it. And we're getting out of Somalia and we're getting out of everywhere because I say so because I'm the president. If he'd done that in the summer, I'd have campaigned for the guy. Mm -hmm. I would have not just voted for him. I would have argued away all of his deficiencies. As horrible as they are, they don't matter compared to his real determination to get us the hell out of the Levant and Mesopotamia and Central Asia and East Africa and the Arabian Peninsula right now. If that was really a thing, then man, he would have won. He would have won so badly. And now look at us. There's no McGregor in the Biden camp. None. Oh yeah. They're all straight out of the center for a new American security. You know, 
they might as all might as well all be David Petraeus's children up there to run the Biden government from here on out. Yeah, you know, well, cross-eyed idiot Michelle Flournoy who forced Obama to triple the Afghan war and then took her chair as Deputy Secretary of Defense for Policy and oversaw the losing of that war anyway after killing probably another 100,000 people for nothing, including thousands of Americans. And she gets to be promoted by Biden? Oh, look, the first female Secretary of Defense. Yeah, she lost a war. Sorry, escalated and lost a war. But who's counting? That's fine. She's going to take her chair as Secretary of Defense now. And Susan Rice will be the Secretary of State, probably. Right. You know, Tony Blinken will be the National Security Advisor. And we'll be at war for another eight years under the Kamala Harris government, the Biden-Harris government. I mean, I give Biden maybe two or three years before he steps aside for Harris. I don't, so I don't even give him that long. I think he has about six months in him. <laughs> nah, I mean, he can out, he can do, you know... He can outsource almost everything to his chief of staff and still be the president. Ronald Reagan did it. Yeah. You know, he doesn't ha he won't have to step down until it's time to do it for her so right. that she can run as the incumbent president in 2024. Well, okay. Well, let me ask you this, because this is one thing that was confusing to me. All right. Trump from day one, he was saying these wars are stupid. And then whenever the Yemen bill came down, he vetoed leaving Yemen. And I know it was because the business relationship with Saudi Arabia, right? That's all it is, man. It's money. I mean, yeah. he asked him and he said, it's the money. Yeah. He lied. Or at least he repeated a Saudi lie that they're spending, that they've committed to spend $450 billion on American weapons for this, providing, as he said, more than a million American jobs. What a bunch of crap. I mean, well, if anybody believed that, punch yourself in the face right now three times. Well, didn't he and just do another – didn't he just lay out another deal with the UAE just here like in the last week? Like, yeah, and part of that is – I love this too. He made this whole giant deal between Israel and the UAE, a peace deal they call it. Well, they were never at war. It's not really a peace deal. What it really is is the UAE – finally selling out the Palestinians and no longer insisting on freedom for the Palestinians right. before recognition of Israel. But to do that, they had to be bribed by the American taxpayer. Ah. That we'll give you all this military equipment, including F-35s, which they're a lot better off with F-16s, if you have, ask an F-16 pilot. But anyway, right. um, they're going to give them our most advanced fighters and all of these things as part of their bribe to get them to get along with Israel and sign the peace deal with Israel. Well, yeah. then Israel turns around and goes, oh, no, now we're in an arms race in the Middle East. If the UAE has F-35s, then we need even more of them ourselves. So give them over. Yeah. We have to maintain our qualitative edge. But we only gave the UAE the F-35s to get them to make peace with Israel in the first place. So how come they got to be in an arms race with a country they just signed a peace deal with? Right. With a country that only has F-35s because we gave them to them, so they'd sign the damn peace deal in the first place. But what, what I wanted to ask you about was the Sudanese deal. The Sudanese, like, that, that seemed like a big deal to me. 
Yeah, they uh, just threatened him with sanctions and promised him sanctions relief, just basically extorted them into doing it. Right, but but I mean, that, again, it, that actually ends an armed conflict, doesn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, the problem is they just had, like, um, I'm going to, I hope this is right, buddy. I'm, I'm almost sure it's about a year and a half ago, spring of 2019. They had a real revolution and overthrew their longtime dictator, Bashir. And... Uh, I, I covered this a little bit on the show at the time. There was this Canadian professor who was an expert in this stuff who was Sudanese himself and could explain it all. And the thing was in Sudan, it was a dictatorship, but they had a pretty robust civil society of a lot of sort of pseudo private organizations. I don't think they were all just Soros fronts and stuff. I think they had, you know, their own real kind of uh, political culture there. And so there were people prepared to replace the regime. And, and there were enough people who were interested and held massive peaceful protests who demanded that the military, you know, temporary military junta step aside and let them have a real election and let them create a real civilian government there. And they succeeded in doing that. But then now here come the Americans and the Israelis to kind of co-opt that. Probably doesn't take too much, um, you know, American tax money or... Federal Reserve printed notes to um, to bribe people into going along with this. And I don't really know what Sudan gets out of the deal other than a little bit of sanctions relief. And I and Israel doesn't get anything out of the deal because they're not at war with Sudan. You know, th there's not a real problem between um, them and Sudan. If anything, um, all it is, again, is it takes pressure off of Israel to ever give any justice whatsoever to the Palestinians who live essentially in bondage under Israeli occupation in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And the West Bank includes East Jerusalem there. And so Netanyahu then gets to say to the Israeli public, see, we get peace with the Arab states and we get to keep the West Bank too. Yeah. They always said we'd have to give up the, you know, let the Palestinians have independence. Well, I figured it out. And all I had to do was get Donald Trump to give these countries a bunch of American tax dollars to do it. And so it's on. And Biden's not going to undo any of that, by the way. I mean, this is a real, you know, step forward in Israeli diplomacy from their point of view. This is a right. real achievement that they've gotten. They UAE just don't want to give him credit. Sudan to give them official recognition now in this way. So it's something they would want to want to. They would have wanted to do. They just don't want to give Trump the credit for it. Yeah, mostly. And also, maybe part of it is they wouldn't have had the courage to go that far. For example, the Americans have been promising for a long time that they would move, maybe even back to H.W. Bush, Bush, certainly Bill Clinton, W. Bush, and Obama all promised that they would move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Right. And they never did it. Right. Trump was like, I don't care. Go ahead. Do it. Yeah. I need those right wing, you know, born again Christian votes. So yeah. let's do it. I, well, he needed Isn't that, that funny. He, he didn't, needed he that didn't Sheldon Adelson money too. Huh? He needed that Adelson money too. Yeah. He needed that Adelson money and he needed right wing, you know, evangelical Christian votes. A friend uh, sent me this morning a message from uh, Chuck Baldwin. Are you familiar with him? The conservative Christian pastor and political commentator. Uh, no, I'm not. I, the name sounds familiar, but I, you'd I don't like him. up with those guys. Yeah. No, nah, you'd like him, man. He's a Ron Paul guy. Oh, okay. And um, 
you know, he's he's the right wing Christian version of of a Ron Paul guy, but he's still in inside the margin there. Got uh, like us. Buchanan and, and he wrote he guy. wrote this thing, and part of it was to all you Christian Zionists out there uh, who said that uh, we had to support Donald Trump because he was going to do all these things for Israel. Well, where's God's blessing for Donald Trump in America now? Yeah. After he did all of that, or maybe your beliefs are wrong, <laughs> something like that. He's yeah. just being mean. But, you know, so Trump did this. He screwed over the Palestinians like this, and he still lost. He got all that Adelson money, and he got the, you know, Christians United for Israel vote, and he still lost. Yeah. The Palestinians got extra screwed. He got nothing out of it. He might as well have done the right thing the whole time, but nope. Yeah, see, the, cowardice the only thing I, I can see, like, they're, like, they're, you know, manipulative, and you always got to expect this whenever it comes to foreign policy. There are going to be some manipulative angles to where somebody's trying to benefit. Uh, I, I, I think the way I look at it, though, is at least we're not stuck bombing Sudan, you know, for the next, you know, 10 plus years. Yeah, because that's true. I mean, really, though, if they were going to bomb Sudan, I mean, the CIA stole southern Sudan away from them and they're bombing each other in their own civil war in the south now. Right, right. Um, But what I mean, really going to invade the country, it would have been in 05 when George Clooney was demanding (laughs) and (laughs) and all the liberal hawks were demanding that um, George W. Bush intervene in the conflict in the Darfur region which they claim was an ethnic genocide when really it was nomads versus farmers. And it was a real problem. A couple hundred thousand people died. Not one suicide attack, by the way, when both sides are Arab and Sunni, it's the difference in the occupier that makes the, that drives the suicide attacks. But anyway, that was when it would have happened. But I, I take your point though. Yeah. You know, at least, you know, unless this government falls soon because of this. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is here's this brand new fledgling democracy there. And then somehow America and Israel insist that America and Israel become their top priority. But this is a Sunni Muslim country and possibly sidling up to the Israelis like this, or maybe, you know, being extorted by the Americans into this type of a situation that might be the death knell for their new democracy. That the first thing that these guys did was essentially sell us out to the Israelis. And then so some strong man gets to use that as his excuse to overthrow it and take the country over. Yeah. I mean, would you I, okay. be surprised if that was the result of this? Yeah, so not. then it turns into, yeah, and then you end up with a, with a new Al-Qaeda or ISIS raising up in that region. Yeah, I feel you. You know, Boko Haram, you know, uh, really takes hold. Yeah. You know, because, you know, they they love Israel so much. So, yeah, it's 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 it's, you know, it's fledgling propaganda one way or the other. You 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 have the potentiality. But I mean, the region's always been so unstable. And, you know, our interventions there have absolutely not helped, which is why so many people are um, excited about McGregor and and, and these hires, you know, Christopher Miller and I mean I I just can't get over that that quote by by Tata I I can't believe you don't know that let me let me see if I can find this quote because it it was brilliant well, you know I'll, what I mean I did see that one quote by him but I don't really know the context to that and I think there's a real big difference of somebody 
well, I, I should say there, there are a lot of different angles you could come from and make that statement, you know, and be like partially right, but only in service of some larger horrible lie, you know? Oh, so, well, here was something I wanted to run by you was McMaster. Um, yeah. He says, I don't, I don't know what the purpose of any of this is. Um, if it's just general vindictiveness, okay, that's one thing, and we can live with that. But I hope that there's not, like, another reason behind this. So, Yeah, in other words, you better not be changing the policy. He actually compared uh, uh, Donald Trump to Neville Chamberlain selling out to Hitler at Munich two weeks ago. Did he? Uh, yeah. For yeah. making a deal with the Taliban. You know, the Taliban. A bunch of basically North Carolina, Appalachian, hillbilly folk with World War One rifles or, you know, maybe 1960s AK-47s that the CIA gave them in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like the German Wehrmacht and Luftwaffe poised to conquer all of Europe with their Blitzkrieg. Yeah. You know, and people that don't know any better, man, whenever you're like, Look, man, the Taliban—they're—they're they're a bunch of—they're a bunch of goat farmers. They're a bunch of nationalists. You know, the Pashtun—they're not a threat to the United States. This is not—this is not where we should be, like spending our resources and our time, and you know, uh, in fighting and 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 destroying people's lives. And they look at you like you're crazy, and they're like, "Well, they—they they assisted Osama bin Laden." You're like, "You—you you don't understand." These people don't know who we are. They still think we're the Soviets. <laughs> like they think the Soviets are still invading their country. They don't even know what the hell you're talking about. They they have no idea and they just can't get it through their mind when you tell them no, they're a bunch of Appalachian barefoot goat farmers up in the mountains of Afghanistan. Like it, it doesn't they they can't they can't seem to wrap their minds around it. They've been so in, enthralled with the propaganda that there's no, you know, the, the moment that Tulsi on the Democratic primary stage called out that one guy, I was like, hey, man, the Taliban didn't attack us. That was Al-Qaeda. And it, it you would have thought that would have, like, churned in people's minds, but nobody yeah. even recognized that. Yeah, I mean, it did hurt him. I mean, it was a good point for her yeah. uh, at the, in the moment. But you're right. It didn't really take and lead to any kind of larger discussion. Right. She exactly. really needed a good Ron Paul moment, but that was only kind of a quarter of one. Yeah, well, enough. I mean. But, but you're totally right. And look, I mean, here's the thing about it too, man. I mean, shouldn't it be the case that all Americans by now should have heard that anecdote. And there are many, many anecdotes of the same thing. I mean, I've had Matthew Ho tell me stories about how, yeah, no, really, this happened to him. Uh, I've had other Afghan war vets tell me this is a conversation that they had. But you can also see this in books and movies and Rand Corporation's studies and Washington Post stories and everywhere over and over and over and over and over again. These valley folk saying to the Americans, you guys are the Soviets, right? Well, we don't like you. Please leave us alone or whatever. And then the Americans say, the Soviets, they left 20 years ago. We're the Americans. Right. And then they say, what's an American? They've never heard of the new world before. Yeah. 
but these are the people that we're at war with because they knocked our towers down, except that they have no idea who we are. So one, the American people should have heard that anecdote before. I know that it, it did get around in, I think, probably still the Bush years when there was a poll that said 92% of Afghans had never even heard of the September 11th attack, had no idea what it even was. The people in this country that were just bombing them and bombing them and bombing them and installing their rapist, murderer, heroin dealer, warlord, police chief, and mayor over them and all this stuff for decades. And they've never even heard of the excuse for it in the first place. They think that we're still, that the Soviets never left because they don't get news. So they didn't know that the Soviets left or that we'd come to replace them with a 20 year gap. Oh, I'm sorry. Good 10 year gap in the meantime. Sorry. But uh, anyway, I mean, some of these stories are from 10 years into the occupation. They don't even know that the Americans are here. Yeah. It's 10 years into our occupation. They still think we're the Soviets. Mm -hmm. Now, once Americans hear that, then what? Isn't, is that not all you need to know to believe that this is an absolute outrage that we are at war against these people? If they've never heard of September 11th, well, then that means they're innocent of it, right? If they've never heard of the new world, how could they possibly be our enemy? How could it possibly be fair what we're doing to them? And then H.R. McMaster wants to talk about Hitler in Munich. <laughs> Give me a break. H.R. McMaster lost the Afghan war. How about he shut up and let somebody who's not responsible for losing that war. You know what his job was during the Petraeus surge? Abolishing corruption in Kabul. I think McMaster should be at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and stay there. Hitler in Munich. Neville Chamberlain. Well, it, it, see, in this just, but that talk, that, that, that hyperbole has been just constant with the Trump years. How many times I've seen people call Trump a fascist for one thing or the other? And I'm look. I look at it, especially his 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 uh, response to COVID, and leaving it up to the governors and leaving it up to the states, you know, for lockdowns and how they how they handle it. And I'm like, he's these the are dictator moves. He's the worst fascist fucking ever. He's the yeah. worst fascist ever. Why won't he invoke the Defense Production Act and seize control over all the private property? <laughs> right. He's such a Nazi. <laughs> And it's just, it's like, you, you have to take a step back sometimes and you're like, do you, do these people really believe this? And some of them do. And, and so, but, but you've got to think like somebody like HR McMasters, who's, who's educated is saying it for effect. He's saying it to turn people against Trump and what Trump wants to do. And that he actually is aware. Like, I hope that somebody as educated as he is, is absolutely aware that, okay, this is not actually how a dictator acts. I just have to say this because I need people to be on my side, you know? And, and so what, I mean, is he going to, if, 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 if there's some success in the next couple of months, pulling the troops out and, and Douglas McGregor's 
plan is put forward and there's no more embassy in Kabul. There's no more troops in Afghanistan. Are they going to turn on McGregor and, and, and begin calling him like Goebbels? I, I'm, I'm oh, just, yeah. Well, they're already trying to smear him. I mean, he had said some things in the past about, well, they, they ought to call out the military at the Mexican border and stuff like that. Yeah. And so then all the media is like trying to trumpet that. They're trying to find something controversial about the guy to say. There's one in, was it the Military Times or Defense One or one of these? Oh my God, Trump's new appointee once proposed abolishing the Marine Corps. Yeah, that was in well, Military Times. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but that was it. eight years ago and it was a discussion. And no one believes that he's going to try to abolish the Marine Corps in the next two months. Yeah, that might take a little bit longer than two months. And as they admit in the story, you know, Truman and Ike Eisenhower both tried to abolish the Marine Corps, too. Ike Eisenhower, the five-star general, supreme right. allied commander of United Nations forces in Europe during World War II, turned president of the United States. That traitor, that guy. That fascist. Yeah. What a fascist he was. He wanted to abolish the Marine Corps. But anyway, <laughs> and all the quotes from McGregor talking about the Marine Corps, he's going, look, the Marine Corps is only fit for fighting peasants in third world countries. You know, yeah. they're not fit for fighting a real war against a real enemy. And so what do we need them for? Because we shouldn't be fighting against peasants in third world countries, huh? And they're essentially light mobile infantry is all they are. And they're only useful in these very limited circumstances. So in other words, he's talking like a scientist, a war scientist in a college course. This isn't um, an ideological harangue by some nut. This is right. a guy who is a master war fighter saying, in my view, these divisions are superfluous. Ooh, right. what a crazy thing, man. Are you sure he didn't use a bad word when he said it or something like that even maybe too? Yeah. I heard he might have used the S word at the time that he said that we don't we don't need the Marine Corps there, you know, S, which is really bad. Well, um, it's it's so, a yeah. conversation. And in fact, they tried to call him an anti-Semite, but then powerful leaders of the Israeli military said, no, he is not either. Don't you say that about my friend. And so that's, you know, they shouted that down. Who shouted down? Guys from the Israeli, you know, it was like the chief of staff of the army or something or the yeah. former one or yeah. something immediately told the Israeli media that, oh, no, he is not. That's right. my friend. Don't you dare. Right. And so you know, that one fell flat. Well, and it's such an academic like argument and, and, and discussion. It's something I can imagine him and Peter Van Buren sitting around a campfire with a with a bottle of whiskey that would be a scene having, having a conversation what, about for hours <laughs> i would like to i might even shut my mouth and sit and listen to that man. <laughs> you know like that's kind of what i that's kind of the idea i get out of it he's coming at it from such an academic point of view and when people are like oh my god he's an anti-semite he's a fascist he's like what i i i can't even wrap my head around what you're Say yeah, look, I mean, because nobody, it's nobody not knows even on the, the guy same takes that plan. seriously. I mean, there's an article about him in in um, the Quincy Institute website, Responsible Statecraft Today, by Mark Perry. Yeah, and this guy's reputation is 
that he's a badass army war fighter, period. Mm-hmm. You can't accuse him of wrong think other than he doesn't want to occupy the world forever, which is perfectly in line with the rest of the American people. Right. But he's not guilty of, you know... Well, there might know, be some logic to it as well. Praising the dictator of Uzbekistan too much or some weird thing. Like, there's nothing on him like that. Right. You know? Again, this is the guy who drew up the war plan for if we fight Russia, we do it the way Doug McGregor says is that we have to do it. Right. Because he's the best guy they've got for that. Yeah. So he comes, you know, he's widely respected. I mean, people think of him as opinionated and, he, and not a team player. He doesn't toe the party line and things like that. But nobody says that he ain't a brilliant genius. Right. And nobody says that he, you know, he's anything but an American patriot. Mm-hmm. So. And you know what? Back to why didn't Trump do this over the summer? Because, again, you know, this guy is he he fits the stereotypical character of a serious you know, seriously minded, but also very tough guy, conservative mm-hmm. army colonel. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty damn good caricature for a person whose job it is to stand to the right of the president and protect his right flank while the president ends some wars. Mm-hmm. You need a right wing tough guy. I don't want to say right wing, a conservative Republican army officer to say, don't worry, folks, it's okay. In fact, we're going to be a lot better off as soon as we end these wars. Well, you can and, take it from me. Well, and see, right? I think I think this is this this is kind of what I was saying earlier about about the the Trump like kind of transforming into a neocon reactionary. Um, he he was looking. He, Trump has Trump didn't I don't think Trump realized fully that his appeal to most people was the fact that he was not like truly political. And once he got in there, he started trying to make moves in political ways. And so he started to make deals and he started to to form um, cohesion between certain factions. So you end up with with Trump taking a bunch of money from from Sheldon Adelson and he doesn't want to end those wars. He doesn't want the, the American military out of the Middle East helping Israel. So Sheldon is out in 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 those types of lobbyists are going to send people like like the Lindsey Grahams and and the Warhawks in the Republican party to Trump to get into his ears. And they, I think they were able to manipulate Trump enough to make him step back and say, okay, I'll wait until after the election because if I do it before the election, it's political suicide. But I don't think it would have been political suicide for Trump because no one expects right. Trump to make truly political moves. Right. And look, I mean, you can buy a lot of votes with Sheldon Adelson's $75 million, but Donald Trump could write his own check for $75 million. Well, and who else? Who, you know? I mean, you might have been able to get a, a check from George Soros if you would have ended a war. Well, I mean, I, I guess so. But in fact, 
even if he wasn't willing to write his own check or go to George Soros on the other side. In fact, I'm not sure how, how good George Soros might be. He's so bad on Russia that I'm sure he would uh, not well, I mean, he, 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 helped, he, he helped with the Quincy Institute. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you. But, um, but the thing is that um, – God dang, uh, uh, I can't remember things. I got what Biden's got. Yeah. The the it's self inflicted. I admit it. Um, the Kab the Kaboth care or what what did he call it? The Bakoth care. I don't know. I'm still wondering what that is. He was talking about healthcare and he called it the uh, Bakoth. That was what it was. The Bakoth care. So I'm still yeah, wondering what what okay. we're what. That Maybe is. he was trying to say Barack Obama. I he might have been he might have been trying to say any number of things like that. Truman on the no no pressure, whatever that was. He, uh, is this is this the if well, nothing, I know what I was going to say, I was going to say even if he hadn't written the check or gone to George Soros or to Sheldon Adelson, that if he just ended the wars, that would have been worth way more votes than Sheldon Adelson could have ever bought him. Oh, you know, yeah. seventy five million dollars is nothing compared to pulling our troops out of Afghanistan and Somalia and. Well, I'm a, how much how much money could he raise from the troops? Thanks yeah, for I mean, and not even just that. in money, but I just mean in goodwill. I mean, there's your swing voters right there. Right. You know? Yeah, for real. Yeah. And I said so at the time, too. I said so at the beginning of last year that, you know what? We got so many wars right now. He could end one war per month. On the first of every month, he could end another war. And <laughs> by October, he'd be Donald the Great. Yeah, absolutely. And no one could deny it. Yeah. You know? And like you were saying before, he could fire anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, Thaddeus Russell, I was saying, we're not going to Iran. And he goes, yeah, that's what they said about Europe. And then we went back to Europe. And he even told the story how FDR said to the generals, we're going to Europe. Get ready to go to Europe. And they told him, we're not going to Europe. And he goes, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. Now we're going to Europe. And yeah. all the generals who replaced those guys said, yes, sir, let's get ready to go to Europe. No, I don't want to lose my job. So that's it. Yeah, simple as that. Donald Trump could just say, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired until who wants to get me the hell out of Afghanistan? Raise your hand. You're promoted to four stars. Get me the hell out of here. Right. That's it. He's the boss. Right. And he could have done that. And he never needed Sheldon Adelson. He should have never listened to that Jared Kushner, dude. Well, he just fine this whole time without the Israel lobby at all. I mean, it's not like they really favored him anyway. All the worst neocons hate his guts and always have. Yeah, for sure. You know, because he's, he's not – he might be, you know, a hardcore Zionist, which they favor, but he doesn't believe in the entire international American system of, of power, you know, the entire American imperial system. It's like he's opposed to it, really, but he doesn't believe in it. Well, you didn't believe they were it. terrified enough of him that he would dismantle it, that they ran, you know, opposed him this whole time. Yeah, well, and that's what people don't understand. He's not principled. He's not principled like you or I or, you know, Ron Paul uh, on, on these subjects. He's coming from it from that's a waste of money. It's not good business. That, I mean, that's right. the way he's looking at it. And yeah. also, yeah, who cares about the Afghans? Why should we try to help them? Yeah, it's pretty cynical, but I'll take it. I don't care. Yeah, you know what I mean, we've been killing them to death for twenty years. Let's give them a break now. You know. Yeah, I'd rather not care about them than murder them. You know, <laughs> like 
I don't know. It's just kind of my way of looking at it. I'd rather the U.S. just didn't give a shit. You know, it's like, oh, let them live their lives. Let them do their thing. Yeah. But so, yeah, he's not principled by any stretch of the imagination, but he just looks at it as bad business. He's just like, yep. it's a waste of money. We're getting nothing out of it. You know, right. it, there's see, no the return on the investment. And he's supposed to not just believe in it, but he's supposed to be able to sell us on it, too. Mm-hmm. America, this is our mystical destiny to lead the world. Yeah. And all of this stuff. And how's he supposed to convince you and me of that when he doesn't believe in it? Right. It's that it's the extension you know? of manifest destiny. You know? Yeah. He, he undermines he the whole thing to a uh, hopefully a permanently fatal degree. You know? Yeah. And you know what's really interesting? I, it's something I noticed. And I had actually kind of predicted it. And I was, I was just kind of waiting for it to happen. But about a month before the election, I started noticing hardcore left-wingers, hardcore progressives that, you know, kind of like the Max Blumenthal types um, that are more anti-war than anything else, they kind of put that up front, start to give Trump credit and kind of talking like they might even vote for him. Um, I'm thinking in particular of Kim Iverson and I was like, well, that's interesting that, you know, that would have been a, a crazy, a wild coalition if he would have been able to hold on to his economic populism and he would have ushered in like truly anti-war stances. He could have made a really interesting coalition among the population of the citizens oh, that yeah. would have con- completely destroyed all the legitimacy of the the two-party system oh i mean the could have beens here just go on forever i mean yeah in fact you know not that this is my point of view of course i'm a libertarian but he never called himself a conservative and he mostly ran on protecting the welfare state social security and medicare medicaid and all that from those greedy guys who would take it from you Mm -hmm. um not that he really thought very much about that or anything like that, but that was at least his position that he took. So if honestly, man, if he'd just been a couple of clicks smarter and like, Oh, I don't know, 10 or 20 clicks more of a decent human being at all, then yes, I think what you're saying is actually even an understatement. I think he could have completely reordered American politics um, entirely. Yeah. By being sincerely anti-war, um, well, being good on without going through the whole litany, being sincerely good on a few of the most important things to the left and the right, and really organize. I and mean, this is what I always thought about Ron Paul. He makes a much better example than Donald Trump. Donald Trump is sort of the funhouse mirror version of Ron yeah, Paul, really sorrow is. world version, right? Yeah, um, but that you know, under a Paul Kucinich administration that you could reorganize the American political parties so that you would have the Democratic Republicans, which represented the people of the country versus the war party, which is led by the conservative Democrat, the former, what we used to call the conservative Democrats and the liberal Republicans, the neoliberals and the neoconservatives. And they're the war party of taxes and tyranny and death and paper money that we all hate. And then it's us versus them. It's 
literally not in some stupid slogan of communists, but like actually the 99% versus the 1%. And that, and this is us versus them. That's the real division. And, but he was just, of course, you know, Trump is just absolutely so divisive um, and picked a fight on issues, you know, from the very beginning with the Muslim ban and all these kinds of things, all red meat for the base and open hand slaps to the other side, you know, over and over and over again, just to drive them crazy, which I guess, you know, for a time you might've thought was good politics, but actually, you know what? He lost the house and then the presidency in the yeah. next two elections after that. Yeah. And, and it just didn't have to be that way at all, dude. And, but he just, you know what? He just sucked. Yeah. And well, you know what? when he first came in, so, so Stephen Bannon was his, you know, helped him win the election. And when it was one of his major advisors in the first six months, right. They got rid of him by July, I guess. Right. Um, of 2017. But so Bannon said, look, man, Trumpism is these three big things. Okay. We're going to end free trade with Mexico and China. We're going to clamp down hard on immigration and build the wall. And we're going to end all the wars. Well, those first two things are, um, well, they're, I guess all three of them are really at the same uh, degree of controversial, except the first two are essentially impossible to do without political consensus to, to back it up, to do it. But the mm -hmm. wars, he's the commander in chief. He could have in the first six months said, no, we're ending all of them. I said it and I meant it and we're doing it. And right then he absolutely could have framed it that look, Everybody knows George Bush is a big dummy and Barack Obama is a big wimp and they ruined everything. Okay. And it's too late for me to fix it. That ship has sailed. The cost would be way too high to try to double down on all these wars that these idiots ruined. Everybody knows none of this is my fault. I just got here. I'm not a senator. I didn't vote for this mess. You know, yeah. I just got here and we're cutting and running. You're goddamn right. And if he'd said it like that, the crowd would have cheered. It would have been huge. And he'd absolutely, you know, demolished the liberal coalition with that, too. Um, and instead, what happened was they put ending the wars on the back burner. Well, that's going to really anger the Pentagon. And that's going to really anger the CIA. Well, look, the CIA is already falsely accusing you of treason and trying to overthrow you. Right. And the military, actually, they're OK as long as they're paid. And so you can move them around and just don't fire them all at once right off the bat. And it'd be fine, you know? Um, and then it's in the Woodward book, the first Woodward book, Fear, um, that Bannon says to James Mattis, the secretary of defense, okay, look, we'll shut up about getting out of Afghanistan if you promise to double down on China. And Mattis says, okay, you got a deal, sucker because they were going to double and triple down on China anyway. Right. Yeah. Why you think that the secretary of defense is not into building more ships or what do you think? And so yep. they gave away Afghanistan with, right off the bat. Yeah. When, if they had even just stuck with the first one, right. By the time my book came out in August of that year, Trump had just escalated the thing, killed another few tens of thousands of people for no reason in the meantime. You know, but if he had just followed through and said, no, screw you guys. I said it and I meant it. You're not willing to implement my orders. There's the door out. 
If he had done that, man, instead of, you know, the Muslim ban and all of these things that were so divisive and so partisan, if he had done that, man, he would have completely exploded the Democratic Party coalition right then and there. Mm-hmm. And, and even if he did go and do a Muslim ban in another year and a half from then or something, still, it would have been a lot harder for the Democrats to put their group back together again. You know, I mean, that would have been the ultimate sabotage would be to say, listen, to liberals and left leaning people of goodwill. You may not like me, but I'm going to end the wars you want ended because I want them ended, too. And I need your support, my fellow Americans and blah, blah, blah. And been decent about it, man, that would have been it would have been amazing. Yeah. It would have worked, right? It would have gotten a lot of people to make that switch, that Cassandra Fairbanks switch from yeah. Bernie to Trump without stopping at Hillary in the middle, you know? Yep. And but it never happened. Never yeah, happened. And you know, you know what it was was the biggest telltale. Um, just before the election, I was kinda I was I was paying attention to what all the uh what all the talking heads are saying and kinda who's endorsing Trump and who's endorsing Biden and Ben Shapiro came out and endorsed Donald Trump and what Ben Shapiro said. And, and like, this is a direct quote. You can go find his endorsement of Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016, but I'm going to vote for him in 2020 because he has governed more conservatively than any other president of my lifetime. I mean, it's just, he, he gave the, the Ben Shapiro Zionist conservative block exactly what they wanted. Right. And by conservative, he doesn't mean anything about money. Right. At all. Exactly. Just means Zionism. Well, exactly. What the hell kind of embarrassment is that, that that's what conservatism means now is putting the interests of a foreign country above your own. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I was like, I never looked at the Trump administration that way because I found it, you know, I mean, I was basking in the comedy of the entire thing and people's heads exploding left and right. So I really wasn't paying attention so much to where the policies lined up on an ideological basis. But when Ben Shapiro said that, I was like, Oh shit, he is right. He's right. He's, He's an FDR conservative. He's there to conserve the new deal and American hegemony. And that's that. That's, that's all he's there for. Yeah. To protect. Well, I mean, I don't think that's really right that he is there for that. Like he was put there for, no, 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 no. But that's what himself there. But again, he's deep. And so whatever Jared Kushner says is what we got to do is what we got to do. Cause he doesn't know better about virtually anything. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is in the mind of a Ben Shapiro, that's what a president is supposed to be. You know, that's when I say that's what he's there for. I'm in it in a general sense. Oh yeah. Like on that point of view, this guy's perception of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was my mistake. No, I hear you. I hear you. But Um, yeah. yeah, no. And it's a, it's a shame. I mean, it's the same thing with Barack Obama. You know, he's a bad guy. I mean, nobody's going to argue that, but I don't think anybody thinks he's as dumb as George W. Bush, as thoughtless as George W. Bush, as self-interested 
as Bush or Trump. Here's a guy who knows how to read. Here's a guy who, you know, just because of the fact that he's black means by definition that he is somewhat of an outsider from the established order of things and has to be able to understand the point, uh, you know, power from the point of view of the people who are the recipients of the power, not just the wielders. You know, he was related to Dick Cheney on his mom's side, but he was related to dirt poor East Africans on his father's side, right. you know, and, and, you know, well, growing up in America, black guy, which is, you know, Frank not, I'm not saying that's always the worst thing in the whole world or whatever, but it ain't the same thing as being born into a Brooks Brothers suit and a spot at Yale and in the Senate or whatever either. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so then what did he do with eight years in power other than the wrong thing always? You know, I mean, right. I'm sure he would, he probably is proud of Obamacare because it did give, you know, subsidies for health insurance to people who couldn't afford it previously. Although mm -hmm. don't get me started on what an absolute horror show it is for 10,000 reasons beyond mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But um, you know, he could call that one achievement. What else did he do? He signed the NDAA in 2012 that made it legal for the military to kidnap you or me and hold us for the rest of our lives without charges. He, mm -hmm. uh, you know, murdered tens of thousands of civilians with his drone wars. He backed Al-Qaeda in Libya and in Syria, leading the rise of the Islamic State. He gave Saudi a blank check to start the war in, in uh, Yemen. As I already said, he tripled the war in Afghanistan. All in eight years, the guy just ruined everything he touched. Yeah, the only good and all of the tarp bailouts and all that started with Bush, but he expanded, you know, all the welfare for the major corporations instead of the little guy or nobody uh, after the crash of 08. And then, but like, so who is he now? And what does he think? Does he not think like, man, I wasted my life. I was the president of the United States for eight years and I didn't end any wars. I only started a bunch. No. And I, I didn't protect any refugees. I just deported two million of them. And I didn't free anybody from prison. I just built 30 more or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, God, what a same thing with Trump, man. Again, move the embassy to Jerusalem, lose anyway. Stay in the war in Yemen. Because you need the, all that money and all that international support from the Saudis and this and that, lose anyway. Back down to H.R. McMaster and James Mattis, who say they're going to blame you if you leave Afghanistan and then anything bad there ever happens again, and then lose anyway. Four years in that chair. And what did he even accomplish? A couple of miles of wall on the border? Well, and, and it goes back. A tax back. cut that any Republican would have had done you know would have passed right yeah well it, it, it all goes back to what we were saying about like why it took him so long to get rid of these these cancerous you know leaders in the pentagon and and actually introduce some of what are being called his loyalists that want to get us out of afghanistan why did it take him so long he had seen you know, he, he had run on draining the swamp. Well, what was a bigger swamp than the foreign policy of the United States? I know there's corruption within the government here locally, domestically. You got, you know, Biden, you know, getting his kid millions of dollars. You have the Clinton Foundation. But he focused 
way too much on political enemies and not what was actually draining the American people of their resources. Right. right. And I mean, this goes back to, again, just how dumb he is and how shallow he is that Donald Trump sees politics the same as your least informed neighbor does. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's just what TV says. Right. Everything is just how it's playing on TV today. Right. It's not about, well, you got to understand the role of Archer Daniels Midland and Monsanto Company in gangsterizing people out of their farms. You got to understand who it was that gave the poor blacks of Detroit poison drinking, uh, sorry, of Flint uh, uh, poison uh, drinking water instead of the good stuff that they had access to. Right. Who was it that made that decision? These kinds of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even, de- even defending himself on Russiagate, all he ever said was unfair, witch hunt, when? Hoax, yeah. Right, well, it, because it, he doesn't read anything. He well, doesn't it, even know enough to say, never even mind, like attack the left from the left. Look, Aaron Maté in the Nation magazine, the liberal Democrat Nation magazine, saying that Russiagate is BS. He never tweeted that once. Right. That would have been brilliant. How about yeah. this? How about, look, guys, Chuck Ross in the Daily Caller or uh, oh, what's her name from The Federalist or The Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. where these are right-wing publications, but they were defending him on Russiagate with substance. Right. And he never cited them. He never said, look at this new article in The Federalist that shows why I'm innocent. Because he didn't know. Yeah. Because well, he, he doesn't know anything. Yeah. Well, look he, at his Twitter feed right now. He's following 20 people or something. Well, he follows Newsmax and OAN. He's not following, you know, you know, Bill Benny, who could have pointed out exactly why it wasn't a hack into the Podesta emails or the Clinton emails. wasn't a hack. It was actually a leak. Like, or you know, even just the Daily Caller. I mean, again, Bill Benny, this is graduate school level stuff. We're talking about Donald Trump here. But yeah. for God's sake, he doesn't even know that there's such a thing as the Daily Caller. <laughs> that they were made to support a guy like him and that's all they do all day and they do it well. Right. And on this issue, I mean, that guy, Chuck Ross, did good work, solid work debunking Russiagate. Well, you and, can't even, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, and it, you know, He makes George W. Bush look like a graduate student. He does. It's make, just a goddamn embarrassment. It well, really and you, know what, you know what made it even worse is, is Mitch McConnell – no matter what anybody says about Mitch McConnell, he is a genius politically. He understands politics. He understands. So he was in Trump's ear from day one. We got your back. Like, yeah, you're my man, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's whispering all these, this is what we have to do now. And he's kind of steering the ship. It was almost like a McConnell presidency in certain aspects. Right. Yep, he just outsourced his entire legislative agenda to the Republican Party. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and, and McConnell is not, I don't, a lot of people are like, oh, McConnell's an idiot, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, he's not. Like, yep. he, he's a smart guy. He and knows by the way, if Trump had said, no, look here, I'm the alpha dog and it's my agenda and you're going to help me get it done, McConnell would have said, you got that right, sir. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have done what Trump wanted, and he'd have been just as capable as you're describing on Trump's agenda instead of his own. Yeah. Which but, is not one I'm saying I agree with necessarily. Right. Um, but I'm, still. Yeah, but McConnell is poli- like extremely political, poli- politically savvy. 
He's just a savvy politician. He understands right. how how the engine works. And he and Trump goes in there, you know, speaking at a third grade level. And McConnell's like, oh, okay, I can I can get this guy to do what I want him to do. And yep. so you get Paul Ryan's tax cuts. You get McConnell's agenda here and, and there. And before you know it, no wars are ended. You know, there nothing's no no corruption's actually being uncovered. You know, and it's like, all right, well, everything you ran on in four years, it's like the blink of an eye. It's gone because you were on defense the whole time because you weren't smart enough to understand. I have to take the reins here and and steer this ship and do so in a way that gets people to follow me. You know, you, you can't, you can't just go off of, you won the presidency on instinct. You can't govern on instinct. You have to have some clue as to what the hell's going on around you. Yep. I mean, that's exactly right. And it's funny, you know, um, I read this thing. It was a profile of Maggie Haberman. Mm-hmm. who was started out at Politico and then went to the New York Times to cover Trump. They were calling her MAGA Haberman. Huh? They were calling her MAGA Haberman a while back. Yeah, it's because she simply shared the New York Post story and right. said, hey, everybody, look at this. I don't even think this is credible. What do you guys think? And yeah. they were like, oh, how dare you even share it at all? Right. But yeah, no, she's been a, a major nemesis of Trump's. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, that's why I thought it was so funny when they started calling her MAGA Haberman. I was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, that just goes to show who they are. Yeah. But one of the things they said in there was that, you know, she would try to, after Trump won the election or maybe after he won the nomination, mm-hmm. the New York times brought her in to brief the whole staff about who the hell is this guy? And how is this even possible that this just happened? And they didn't believe her. It said in there, that they didn't believe her that he is crafty enough to have done this, but does not actually have an ideology or even an agenda. He really is just having fun and doing this. And yeah, he wants to win because he cares about being a winner and stuff, but he really does not have an ideology and how they didn't believe that. And they couldn't understand that. But that was the reality of it was he probably actually doesn't even know what the word ideology means exactly. You know, like you could explain to him and say, those leftists you hate, they have one. And he would go, oh, okay. You know, but like he never, he was always a Democrat. You know, he was a liberal, probably not too liberal Democrat from New York in terms of who he donated to and who he hung around with and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 80s Democrat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you might say he was a conservative on immigration or something like that, uh, like that. But for the most part, he was a Bill Clinton guy. Yeah. Remember, it was his friend, Bill Clinton, who convinced him to run. Right. Which because is kind Clinton, of, which is hilarious. Clever by half, as usual, thought that this would be a good sabotage is because he'll be so easy for Hillary to beat. Right. You know. Um, but he never did have an ideology. He never did say like, you know. These are my three favorite websites that I like to read the news at because they really get it right a lot, right? Like if you were him, but, but you were you, but you were him, you'd read the Wall Street Journal, right? You would read, you know, I don't know, the Daily Caller, U.S. News and World Report or something. I don't know, conservative yeah. media. 
Drudge. Yeah, Drudge. Um, yeah, Breitbart. Yeah. Yeah, Washington you're, Times. These have a yeah. list of things to say. Sure. I mean, this was the, uh, one of the things about Sarah Palin was when they were like, well, so what kind of newspapers do you read? Oh, and she couldn't she couldn't even just bluff and say, well, the Wall Street Journal, because she didn't even really know enough to even know that the Wall Street Journal is a right leaning paper for rich guy New Yorkers or whatever. You yeah. Know. Did, didn't she just say all of them? She was like, oh, yeah, or something. All of yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. In other words, none of them. She don't know. You know, yeah, yeah. she's fair enough. Fine. She's the governor of Alaska. I don't know. But this guy's Donald Trump. Like, how can you be Donald Trump and then be elected president and not think to yourself, man, I really better buckle down and start reading the Wall Street Journal in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, for God's sake, you're the yeah. president. But he never took any of it seriously enough. I man. mean, didn't he, didn't he yeah. say the Bible was like the second greatest book ever written behind, you know, uh, whatever his book was? The Art of yeah, the which was ghost written for him, and he never read the Bible anyway. So Yeah, right. Like, he's like, it was like the second greatest book ever written behind the art of the deal. I know it's tongue-in-cheek, and 90% of what he says is, you, you know, know what? Humor, he should have read the art of the deal. It might have taught him a thing or two. He, he might have yeah. learned something. Yeah. yeah. From his ghostwriter. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And and so, all right. So like back to these these the shake up. Do we do we you say you have about a 10% positivity rating on anything coming out of this? Well, yeah, I mean, we are talking about an irresistible force and an unmovable object, right? Who's going to win this contest? Do you think? I'm telling you, I, McGregor, if anybody can do it, it's McGregor in alliance with Donald Trump. If Donald Trump really has his back, and if McGregor and Miller and Trump have really put their heads together and said, this is what we're doing, and this is the date we're doing it on, and yes, you 100% have my support men to go through with this kind of thing, then yeah. I mean, look at the deal with the Taliban at all. I mean, I'm totally making this up. I've never read an account of this. I don't know if an account has been written of this. If it has, I've never read it. I'm totally making this up, but this has to be how it happened. That Khalilzad, Zalmay Khalilzad, had to have said to Donald Trump that, listen, if I do this job, you have to promise me I'm your guy. I don't work for Mike Pompeo. I work directly for you and that I got your 1000% support no matter what to see this through. You cannot screw me on this, man. You cannot ask me to make a goddamn deal with the Taliban if you don't mean it. Right. So like spit and shake, sir. For real, because okay. otherwise Khalilzad would have never agreed to that. He just never would have agreed to try. Yeah, uh, unless he had that level of assurance. Yeah, because he wasn't. He wasn't. Trump gave it to him, and he did it. He fucking did it, dude. In a year and a half, he negotiated a peace deal with the Taliban, which is Wait. and one that gives away the whole thing. It just says, "Look, we'll leave you alone. We'll pull all of our troops out as long as you don't let Al Qaeda come back." Yeah. But, no but, more conditions than that. Don't that, even insist that they make a peace deal, just that they try. 
please right. negotiate with the Kabul government as work, we withdraw. Y'all figure it out. Yeah, it's y'all figure it out. This is that is a good one, man. That is amazing. You know, in Fool's Errand, I said, don't make a deal because I can't imagine a situation conceivable on this earth where the American government actually makes a deal with the Taliban, where right. they agree to withdraw. I think you got to just get up and go. Well, and I was and, wrong about that. But look what it took. It took Trump saying, I thousand percent got your back. You got to see this through for me. Well, and, and he did what and, him nonstop I, for a year and a half as he did it. Am I know? am I wrong in maybe maybe the reports I've seen are wrong, but um Khalil Azad didn't want to do it. Like he I was, don't know about that. I don't know I, about that. Honestly. And I would love to read something about the origin of how he got that job. I don't think I've ever read a thing about how he got the job. Yeah, because only going honestly, I'm going off of other books I've read about other executive agents in other situations that when it comes to, you know, being a peace envoy, you know, George Mitchell being appointed by Obama to go and you know, fail at getting anything done in Palestine, uh, yeah. right? Do I work for you or do I work for the Secretary of State? And do you have my back or don't you? Right. And of course, Obama said, don't worry, you work for me and I've got your back. But he didn't mean it. And right. he left George Mitchell out to dry and he accomplished nothing and then came home. Right. Yeah. No, I remember, I don't, it was, it was right around the time that the Taliban was supposed to be coming, uh, what were they, Fort David or whatever they were, they were supposed to be coming in and, and meeting here on American soil. And I remember reading a piece and it could have been bullshit and I don't remember who wrote it. And they had said that uh, Khalil Azad was actually like ideologically aligned with the neocons and he didn't want to do it. And he was kind of strong armed into it by Trump. Well, on that point, I would definitely not be surprised about that in terms of, in terms of making the peace deal at all, I don't think he could have been strong-armed into that. Now, once he's already up to his eyeballs in the thing, maybe he got strong-armed into going along with inviting them to Camp David. Okay, which so it could have been like half-truth. They should have like, never done that. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And it just made Trump look like amateur hour because it wasn't just that he was bringing them to Camp David, which they do not deserve to come to Camp David. Camp in David, terms that's of, what it was. I, I said, yeah, yeah, like... Yeah, in terms of diplomacy and how that looks and whatever. I mean, these guys are the Taliban, dude. They're throat-slitting bastards, dude. They're not – they don't get to come to Camp David. But the other thing of it was Trump had this absolutely harebrained idea that if he just brought the Afghan government leaders and the Taliban to Camp David, that he would just sit there and glower at them, is that how you say that? until they just signed a new peace deal. Yeah. One that had no foundation, no work done on what the terms are even going to be and whether we could even approach agreement on this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Are the Taliban going to join the parliament? Are they going to have their own government in the regions they already dominate? Right. Are they going to get a position running the defense department or not? Or like, what? how is this supposed to look at all? There are a thousand questions about how the Taliban and the national government are supposed to make peace. It's years worth of negotiating if mm -hmm. they ever get it done right. to figure out how they can see eye to eye and work this out without just escalating the civil war even more. 
right. for Trump to think that he could just snap his fingers and make them do that in one meeting in uh, one like over dinner at Camp David just because of what an impressive guy he is or something is completely stupid. <laughs> and that was why Bolton resigned. So that was the best thing about it was yeah. Bolton said, I'm out of here. And then it ended up not happening anyway. So that right. was nice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, 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 but it, it's, it's, I mean, it, that is, if, if you could, if you could take the entire Trump administration and boil it down to one act, that would be it. Just right. that, that arrogance, that narcissism, that he has that ability to just, I'll put you in a room and, and we'll figure it out. You know, it, yep. it's well said. Totally agree. That, uh, totally agree. That's his total incompetency. Yep. And you know, I'm probably repeating myself from other interviews or other people I've talked with or whatever, but I guess my bottom line about Trump is the same thing that I said all along. That the guy's just a giant boob. Mm. That's what he is. Yeah. And I'm not sure people use that phrase anymore. That might have gone out with super or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> but to me, that's what he is. He's a boob, which is it's sort of like a clown. It's a little bit different than a clown. I'm not sure if I can explain how. But that's yeah. what he is. I, mean, I guess a clown isn't necessarily as empty-headed as a boob, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know the exact. Maybe there's a good Urban Dictionary definition for boob. But that's what <laughs> Donald Trump is. On his best day, he's still a completely incompetent idiot. You know? He's yeah. like Larry David, only about a tenth as funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he is a hell of a lot funnier than Joe Biden, though. I'll tell you that. Uh, he, he, he can be, he, I, I was, I was, now this is just way off the point, but I was listening. I just grabbed one of, uh, one of his rallies a few weeks ago, just, just to hear what he was saying. So I pulled it up while I was driving and I'm listening to him and he goes, and he's talking about when he had COVID and he goes, and there's so many doctors you have a doctor for every part of your body and your doctor will walk up and be like, sir. And he go, they want to touch it. The doctor will be one walk up and be like, sir, can I touch it? And I'm like, I wish you wouldn't. And I just fucking died. I was like, I was like, he's the president. Like he is he the just, president. Yeah, dude, he's just rambling so in, in Dave Smith's comedy special. He talked about how like during the campaign, if, of 2016 trump would be up at the podium giving a speech unlike any other politician you've ever seen before he just get up there he'd run out of things to say and go what else <laughs> <laughs> and then someone in the audience would go china and he'd go china and then he'd go on for like 20 <laughs> minutes about all oh, the chinese they're ripping us off and whatever just not really saying anything, but that, talking they, about it for 20 minutes. That special is so funny, man. When he fucking compared Donald Trump to the, uh, to, to the uh, sign language interpreter that didn't know sign language, I was yeah. dying. Yeah, <laughs> I was, was dying. Was well, great. you know, my wife's from South Africa, so that just like right. made a special place with us because I was on the phone with her during, that, during Mandela's interview. I mean, uh, funeral. So, so that was just something special for both of us. We were and dying. now wait, does she know sign language? And she called it out at the time. No, 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 no. But she was in With South Africa, and she remembers the whole stink about it. Right. Yeah, she was yeah. in South Africa at that time. 
Yeah, no, that whole thing was hilarious. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. That was one of the funniest. That's one of the funniest bits I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Uh, well, we're screwed now. We already were, and now we still are. Yeah. Well, we'll see if we can't end something before it's all said and done. End something that they can just restart, and then you can have an Afghan uh, war. Part you know two. what, man? I'll tell you what, Tommy. Not to get all hope and change and stupid optimistic here, but just think about what fun it might be if they really do go for it. And we have this massive fight for two months over the holidays over whether a lame duck president can end wars. And the, with the entire media and the entire national security state Aligned to try to stop him. Yeah. Well, but with I mean, the most competent guy helping run the Defense Department to see it through that you could possibly have in that job in this situation. And this could really be something else to see, man. Yeah. Well, that was what I was going to ask you. Uh, do, do you know if McGregor has a stance on Assange or Snowden? Has he? No, has he, I don't know that. I I, I, I haven't seen that. him speak about it. It would be um, in, it would be interesting if he were to get not only to start really like really pulling down the numbers of of troops in the Middle East and to see the media's head explode over that, but if he were to convince Trump to pardon Assange and Snowden, exactly what would happen? Because if Trump really wants to get back at the deep state for for his presidency, which was his entire presidency, was the deep state completely yeah. undercutting him. If he really, you know what I got to I got to tell you, um, that would be great. Well, first of all, it'd be great. Period, and it would be great revenge for Trump to get on the FBI and the CIA who screwed him over. However again, without any knowledge of this, I would not bet that this is a big issue of Douglas McGregor would be, you know, salvation for those who leak secrets or whatever. That's not his thing. His thing is, and I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't presume that that's an issue of his. Maybe it is. Um, But I think that he thinks in broader terms about what's good for the American Republic. And that would be ending the empire before it's too late. Right. Because okay. he is a wise enough and, and deeply informed enough person to understand that we cannot go on like this. And at the end of the day, what really counts, who cares if we're the dominant force in the middle East, if we lose everything here, yeah. our, our whole situation falls apart at home. It's just not worth it. What we're doing here. And right. the rest of these guys can't see past the end of their nose. And he certainly can. Um, I don't know where Assange might play into that or anything like that. But I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I think Glenn Greenwald did a great job on the Tucker Carlson show where he looked straight into the camera like he was talking to the president himself. Like he, at one point, I think I'd have to go back, but I'm pretty sure he even sort of stopped addressing Tucker and started speaking directly to the president that you know who would be really mad if you pardoned Manning and Assange? It would be Brennan and Clapper and Comey. These guys, your enemies, they're the ones who hate Assange and Manning and Snowden the most. 
you want to make them cry, you bring my man home. And you know what? If anything was going to do it, it was that. And Glenn Greenwald gave an absolute, you know, perfect performance on that. I didn't see. Unlike I didn't myself, see he didn't stutter one word. You know, he nailed it. Yeah, I didn't see that. I did see the last um, interview that Jimmy Dore did on Tucker, where where he's talking about you can bring the troops home, and he he's like Mr. President, and he's like he's talking directly to Donald Trump. He's like I, and and whenever uh, whenever he was doing his show and he was talking about, it, he's like, look, I know he watches Tucker Carlson, you know. So I have a right. message for him. That's where I'm going to get it to him. Right. And, and, you know, and it was, it was another one of those, like, I got goosebumps. Like, yes, thank you. Somebody's actually like telling him straight up. The American people want this to end. Stop it. You know? And so, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, that, maybe that's one good thing about Trump is you can, you can actually speak directly to him if you can get on Tucker Carlson. So, yeah. Yep. Or if you I mean, get that's on the whole thing. And, and it's not like he spent all day reading a book that disagrees with you. So like you might actually convince the guy if you can yeah. rhyme or something interesting. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you, if you say it in such a way that's entertaining for him, you know, right. Make- I, I used to send him tweets back when I was still on Twitter. I would try to tweet at him and I would just, surround everything with fantastic wealthy successful terrific and then bring snowden home (laughs) messages try to just smuggle it in there like that just give him his favorite buzzwords you know gold supermodel fantastic bring the troops home from afghanistan (laughs) right all right scott well i think we're gonna end it there good times man That was Scott Horton. I am Tommy Salmons. Late.